beautiful prayer. Let me ask you to go to two passages. One is in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And the other is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. We're in a, a series where we refresh our vision, especially this is still January, early in the year. What does this church stand for? Our church stands for the gospel, but we do so in a, in a special way, that we, do, we will be in partnership across cultures and even across generations, that the English ministry, the second generation, Korean-American, multi-ethnic ministry, will be in partnership with this first generation, this being an immigrant church, Korean-American ministry. And why do we do it that way? Why is it that we are in this, what we call a side-by-side relationship and why is it our vision to proclaim the gospel in this manner? This is part two of this set of messages. And we're going to look at two passages. The Deuteronomy 6 is a tremendously important passage, and I preached on it last year. And I hope it's one that, that many of you will swallow and take to heart and that you remember. There's a lot of wisdom in it. As much talks about how we ought to live and what we ought to do that should direct the very pattern of our life. But uh, today, let me talk about both passages. Let's go to Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. If you're there, and you have your finger on the Deuteronomy passage. This is the Word of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. That's the promise that's actually given for those who honor their fathers and mothers. Then verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I ask you to put your finger there, and then we'll move to Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. This is Moses speaking. Before Israelites enter the promised land. This is what he says. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And here's a very famous verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Lord, we're going to talk about something very important today, which is cross-generational missions. 
how we as a church, we deeply are convicted of a deep need to sow the gospel into the next generations. And in a church like this, especially in the immigrant community, we know that this has not been easy, Lord God. This has been hard for us. We pray that today your wisdom would shine over us, your gospel would convict us, your presence would be in us. And you would lay a seed in this church, in this community, in this English ministry, which will sprout tremendous fruit of this cross, from this cross-generational mission of proclaiming your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, today I'd like to... I've chosen these passages because there are three key things I think we all need to obey out of these passages. Three commandments... Three pieces of great wisdom. And I'd like to, to start this message, I'd like to go over these three pieces. So you want to know kind of like what you're supposed to do. Some of you guys are like, oh, you know, all this theology <laughs> and all this content. Come on, just pastor, tell me what to do. Well, today we're going to start off with what to do. All right. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says here, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Now, you don't have to believe in the Bible to know that that's true. I mean, I don't know where you would go where people would just go, oh, you don't need to be a Christian to know that. You could say this right smack in the middle of a Buddhist country in the middle of Asia. You can say this in, in the middle of an Arab country and they would all nod their head and go, yep, this is the way it's supposed to be. So, you know, I don't think we need to go too much over that. Children, obey your parents. This is right. Honor your father and mother. Okay. Um, even in this very individualistic America, we're, you know, and we're not very good at obeying our parents. We kind of have anti-authority issues. We have anti-authority issues in our... We have authority, anti-authoritarian streak in our culture. Maybe some of you guys have anti-authority streak, and you have issues obeying your parents, okay? Um, so, but it says right here, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. So let's just talk about that. But I want to talk... Look at verse 4. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know, um, here, it's something that seems to be a very piece, of, hopefully, hopefully it's a common sense piece of wisdom, but I don't think it's always that common. Right? There are many cultures and in many households where the father just expects, I'm the father, I'm the boss, I'm the head, what I say goes. You know, they, they see the, the family almost like, I'm the CEO and you're the workers, and what I say goes, you follow. And when that attitude comes around, and maybe you grew up in a household. You, did you guys, any of you guys grow up in a household like this? Did you ever experience when your father, or maybe it was your mother, your father provoked you to anger? And so what you have here is, it's interesting, almost every culture understands that first part of this passage. But I don't think every culture always understands this verse 4. That Because, but... Here there is a piece of nuance, a wisdom, that of course you have power and you have the authority to kind of order your children around, order those who are younger than you around, but the deeper goal is not simply who, who says what and then who's supposed to follow. The deeper goal is there's supposed to be a meeting of hearts. Between one generation to the next and the one generation to the next, there's supposed to be something deep and of worth that one generation passes down to the other, and then this says, this is what we stand for. This is what life is about. Every culture understands this. 
One generation goes, this is what we stand for. We stand for great honor. This is, if you do this, you will have honor in our society. If you're in a very athletic culture, we, we stand for athletic giftedness and talent and, and hard work and drive. And then those are the virtues that they pass down to the next generation. If, you, if you're in a culture full of, of music and artistry, then those are the things that they like to pass down to the next generation. But notice, you know, if one generation just simply imposes their glories and their values upon the next generations as a piece of mere moral law, okay, as a piece of mere moral law, every society knows these are the, 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 our values, these are our rules, these are our laws, then you have a pro- oftentimes a problem even within the same culture, even within children who sometimes do believe in the same things that their, their fathers and their mothers do, what you get is this provoking of anger and you have problems across generation. So I'm just talking about this. The Bible is full of wisdom. Paul is not a person who just talks about moral law. For him, though, whenever he finally gives you what you're supposed to do, it's always a response to some deeper deeper thing that you have received through Jesus, through His grace. It's a response always from Paul. But nonetheless, there's still wisdom here. Sometimes if you read this just out of context, people will just think this is just a, what we're supposed to do. That's not true, right? But right here there's wisdom, and there's a problem here across generations. One generation to another, there's a provoking to anger, and even the Bible knows it. And so, number one, one generation to the next, of course you tell what, them what to do. But let's be a little careful on provoking to anger here, okay? That's point number one. Let's go to the De- De- Deuteronomy 6 passage. The second thing that we're supposed to do, let me take your attention to verse 2. It says here, when Moses, so Moses is looking at all the nation, they're about to go into the promised land, says, this is how we're going to live. Now, I'm not just citing this passage because it happens to be convenient to the point that I want to make. I want you to understand Deuteronomy 6 is one of the the most important passages in the Bible, actually. And when Jesus quotes the Old Testament, Jesus, I don't know, he disproportionately, he very often quotes Deuteronomy. I don't know if you know this, right? And why does he quote Deuteronomy? And one of the things, the discourses that he refers to is right here, Deuteronomy chapter 6, the command that we are to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, and our minds and all our strength. I mean, this, the fullness of that we are to love our God. That Jesus cites this because what is happening here is that Jesus understands that Deuteronomy is the law, but the, it's in Deuteronomy where it says that at the heart of the law is a love and a deep relationship between God and His people. So Moses makes this command right here at the beginning of this uh, of this text. But I want you to take your some attention to verse number two, and let me read it here. Verse 2, he says, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Oh, wait, I'm looking at the wrong... Sorry, I'm so confused. I'm like, that's not it. <laughs> Sorry. Like, I was, that's like chapter 8, my page turn. Verse 2. Do all these commandments that you may fear the Lord your God. And by the way, the word fear there doesn't mean just to be afraid of. It means to be in awe of. Okay? that you may be in awe of the Lord your God. And then notice what it says. You and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life that your days may be long. You know what this you is? The you is plural. 
The you is not just individual, but the you is plural. He's talking to a people. And one of the things I want to talk about today is one of the reasons why I think our country is losing Christianity. One of the reasons why our country, and if you, if you read this discussion, if you read the way all, you know, all, all the, 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 the major news magazines and, and, and you go to the universities, they talk about the United States today as a, what they call a post-Christian country. As a post-Christian country. Because in every place where Jesus is proclaimed, the church... The church is always under an, under an important danger that we, I think, can feel sometimes, but we don't always think about very clearly. And that is that the church is always one generation away from dying out. Did you know that? <laughs> if we do not pass on Jesus and the gospel and how, because of Jesus, that we can love the Lord our God with all our hearts, mind, and strength, if that isn't passed on to the next generation... This, literally, this institution will close up shop. I mean, if, there's a, if the next generation doesn't take on the banner of what we do, this literal building will close up shop. But you know what? It's not just this little building. It's the church with a capital C. It's the church, Christians all throughout the nation, it will begin to decline. And one of the reasons why we are in the situation we are here in America is because the, the previous generation did not do a very good job of passing down the faith did not passing down the gospel to the next generation. And in this verse, I, I wanna, what I want to present to you is something very important. It's a key piece of wisdom, which is if you are going to effectively have the gospel live on in our society and people have the hope of God, the church will thrive only when it passes on the gospel, not only to the next generation, but we can pass on to the next generation so they can pass on to their kids as well. You notice what it says here? Your son... And your son's son. We must not only pass on the gospel to our children, but we have to pass it on to them in such a way that they would, that they would have a deep conviction and the ability to pass it on to their children as well. So that every gospel ministry, if it is going to thrive, it has to think two generations down. Not just one generation down, but two generations down. And unfortunately, I have to say that a lot of our churches... We don't even know how to think one generation later, let alone two. But something about this, this is like, you know, when we do the confession of sin again next month, maybe this is something that we must confess and ask the Lord to forgive us for. We have not been very good at this. And so throughout America, this is a huge problem here. And so it's not just our children, but our children's children. And I want you to take that point number two. So your kids, the kids, the kids that we see, and maybe some of you are like, Oh, Pastor, I don't, I don't have kids. <laughs> or I'm a little young, I don't have kids. Like we, we just got married recently, or, or I'm single, or I'm in college, I don't have kids. You know, does, does this apply to me? I want to say something to you about every church. Every church in proclaiming the gospel fundamentally should have mission at its center. And mission, a lot of times when people think of mission, is mission is sending people to another country where they don't believe in Jesus, so that, you know, these people that we send can talk about Jesus and then people can hear the gospel and then get saved. Of course, that's missions. But that's only one aspect of missions. There's actually threefold target that every healthy church, if you're going to be missional, must embrace. That is one to people that haven't heard of cultures and peoples that haven't heard of Jesus. So we know about that. So the missionaries that we send and we, we do that. We support the Joes that work with uh, Persians and, and, and Grace prayed for them. 
And, but two, a missions is our local community. You know, a couple generations ago, I think one of the reasons why missions faltered is a lot of people started thinking, is like, we are a Christian country. A lot of people know about Jesus here. Everybody believes in God here. We know about the rules of God, but not everybody does really believe in the gospel. And what they did was they did not take seriously that just because you believe in Jesus or you go to church, that that doesn't mean that your children are going to believe in Jesus. Because it is not something that just because that goes down by blood, it goes by the Spirit. It goes by faith. That the children must not only go, oh, my parents are really big into God, they go to church. But a lot of people, a lot of people have gone to church and then right around when they get to about 18 or so, when they don't have to, when their parents don't make them anymore, that it doesn't make sense to them anymore when they go off to the universities and when they go off into the cares and concerns about making money in their career and so forth. And this ministry has been lost. And now, you know, this notion that we are a Christian country, it was a foolish notion, to be honest with you, right? Because the real Christianity lives and breathes through the Holy Spirit, by faith in people's hearts, not by the sense of institutions. Just because we say that we're one nation under God, that's not necessarily true at all, right? And so people believe this here in America, but they did not really take seriously that we have to pass this on into our next generation and into our city. So one, to the people in other foreign countries. Two, in our very local neighborhoods, in our very city, people who don't believe in Jesus some people who say, I believe in God, but they don't know the gospel. They don't, they're not saved. They don't know Christ. Right? They're not going to be able to do this. Right? If they only believe in God, is it's a nice, good thing to do. But third, and one I think is very often overlooked, is it is a mission to the next generation. The mission to the next generation. Now, a lot of churches, and I think Asian American churches, Korean Americans, we are totally guilty of this. We think that when we do Sunday school or youth group, that this isn't very serious ministry. Right? As, a, as one of as the pastors that I admire, the way he likes to put it is, the stuff that happens in the sanctuary, that's varsity. The stuff that happens in the classroom, that's junior varsity. Right? This is varsity over here. Over there in the youth group, that's junior varsity over there. No, that is, that is absolutely not true in the Bible. Because missions... Ministry to four-year-olds, to toddlers, to 16-year-olds, for them to sow the gospel. That, that's not junior varsity. That is varsity. That's as varsity as can be because that is as much missions as there is. And so we have to repent. We have to repent of this attitude that this is the serious ministry over here, but that youth ministry or children's ministry or toddler's ministry, that isn't serious ministry. That's, that's as deeply as missions as there can be. And... If we are serious about raising another generation that they want to raise their children and they have the ability to raise their children for Jesus, guess what? You can't wait till they're 25. You can't wait till they're 30. You got to start teaching them and imparting this to them when they're little, when they're babies, when they're four, six, eight, twelve. 12. They have to not just have this hear it as a teaching of something in their classroom, they have to feel it out of our hearts. They have to see how deeply we care about this. This mission has to go all the way down. Okay? Now, number three, third piece of some things that we're to do, all you to do types, okay? All right? Number three. Let's go to verse number six. Okay? So, 
Verse 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Very famous. By the way, that's just a, that's just a, a description of true worship. Worship is love, love the Lord your God. It's not just coming here and do little pieces of religion. <laughs> worship is true love. And now let's go to verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. The words. What are the words? The word is all the words that describe what God has done for us. When Moses was talking about it, he was saying how God took us out of slavery, out of Egypt. How God was faithful to his covenant promises to Abraham. But today, we're talking about the ultimate fulfillment of God's words. That is the fulfillment of God's promise through Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. What is the words that must be on our heart? The gospel. But then notice verse 7. Here's what it says. You shall teach them diligently, these words, the gospel. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So when are you supposed to speak of the good things of God to your children? Hmm? When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. So when is that, guys? Isn't that all the time? <laughs> Isn't that pretty much all the time? I read that and I'm like, wow, that's like pretty much all the time. <laughs> what is the Bible saying? The Bible is saying that your love for God cannot just be only in your heart. That it must come out with words out of your mouth. And it's just on you all the time. And your children so understand that Christ, God revealed through Jesus Christ, God is fulfilling his promise through the cross of Jesus Christ. This comes, it just flows out of you when you wake up, when you're sitting at the table, when you're walking around, that this is captured to you. This is capturing in you, and your children will see this. And by the way, so some of you now, you're like, okay, pastor, I'm, I don't have any kids. I'm not a father yet, so I guess I have a pass until I have, I have kids. Let me say something to you. We all share this passage in the Bible, in Ephesians 6, fathers do not provoke your children. I don't think that's just a message just to fathers. Hmm. So it's fathers, pastor. What are you talking about? Some of you may not be literal biological fathers or fathers or mothers yet. But you know what? All of you who are in the family of God are spiritual fathers and mothers. And you are here to be a part of a mission that cuts across generations and all those who are of the next generation to you, you are a spiritual father, mother, uncle, aunt to the next generation. And it is up to you to not provoke your children, to provoke the next generation to anger. I was saying to the, in, in the first, especially in the first service, you know, a lot of them are youth group teachers and, and, and serve in the children's ministry. And I was telling them, I'm like, they're your spiritual children. Some of them, they get out of line and they're dumb, aren't they? <laughs> Right? Because this is like, it's the problem of every generation. One generation looks at the next generation like, how come you don't get it, dumb kid? And you know what we want to do is we want to bop them on the head and we want to yell at them and use our authority and yell at them by our sense of old, older and, you know, just by the fact that we have might over them, right? But, but if you do this with your children, and you can do this with your children when you're a father, you know, you, I, I pull out, you know, what we call in our house the meme stick, right? And the meme stick is a wooden spoon, all right? And you can use this to get your kids to do what you want, right? But you, whether you are a biological father like me or a spiritual father or mother, 
to your children, to the next generation, we must use something not by provoking through anger. We have to do it through persuasion. Now, let me complete this last part. Listen, verse 8. You shall bind them, these words, as a sign on your hand. I don't know exactly what that's supposed to mean. Are we supposed to write the gospel on our hand? Maybe so, all right? And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. I don't know if you know this, but there's traditions within the Jews where they would literally put Bible verses and they would actually wear them on their bodies. Right? I don't know if we're supposed exactly to do that. Right? But verse 9 even says, You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Maybe some of your family, some of you guys grew up in, in households where your parents actually did this. Uh, I did. My parents literally put Bible verses I think there's literally a Bible verse hanging in every room of our house. Okay? I think there's even one of the bathrooms. I remember sitting in the bathroom you know, doing my business and looking up going, oh, that's a Bible verse. <laughs> that's, that's what our house was like. And, of course, some of them are in English and some of them are in, are, are, are in Korean. And, but I even, like, after, over time, I even know the ones that are in Korean. Can I even understand that, right? But my parents... It was just so clear to me that my parents are in awe of Jesus. Because right? it's, it's on our walls. It's literally on our walls. Right? And the, we have pictures of Jesus on our walls. And we got Bible verses all over our walls. It is on our walls. What is this passage saying? Is The gospel should be so filled in your life. It oozes off of you. And now, you know, I, I go over to people's houses. And I think it's very interesting to see what is on their walls. Now, now, we're guilty of this too. My wife and I are not very good at, direct, uh, uh, at decorating our walls. There's a lot of blank and you know, nothing on our walls, right? Um, but maybe we'll start thinking about this. You know, when I go over to people's houses, some of you have been to some of your houses and I see pictures of your kids. They're cute. Sometimes I've seen some of the, the, the younger members in the English ministry, I see pictures of you when you were a kid and they're hilarious, <laughs> okay? And... But, and then some of, your, some of your houses, you have Bible verses, but I think it's very interesting. We put the things on our walls, the things that we want to see and celebrate, right? Um, you know, you go over somebody's house, you, you go into a kid's room, you see a, a picture of a sports star on his wall, right? Sometimes you go into somebody else and you see rock stars on their wall. Last week, I won't say whom, but I went to a, a, a member of, uh, of, uh, of the, it was actually a member of the Korean ministry, and, and there's a member of our English ministry. And then I got to step into her bedroom, and she had like K-pop, <laughs> Korean pop stars on her walls. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> Korean pop stars all over her walls. But like we, what we see and what we drink in with our eyes and what we surround ourselves with, and it's just sheer practical that we would impart to the next generation Christ, right? And the greatness of Jesus Christ. Now, here we go. We got, don't provoke your kids. Let's target the two generations out, right? And like, let's stick it on our walls. Talk about it all around the table. Uh, or, okay, well, one more. I, I, just, I can't resist. I got to, before I pass this, I'll give you one more piece of practical advice, okay? In our house, one of the things that we do is this. Right? Is, um, I got this thing called the Action Bible, which is a comic book Bible. Right? And if you open it up, it, the illustrations are really fantastic. And, and I you know, was listening to one of the pastors that I admire, and he, he has a Bible right at his di- dining table. And he literally, I mean, he literally obeys this passage, and they talk about the Bible at their dinner table. Okay? And his kids, his kids 
actually take his Bible commentaries off his shelf when he's not looking, and they study his Bible commentaries because they care about the Bible. I'm like, wow, my kids don't do that. It's like, that's crazy, right? I was like, dude, holy family there, right? Okay, um, but so I thought, okay, I, okay well, I don't, I don't expect my kids to read my commentaries, but we can do Bible at the dinner table. And so I got this comic book Bible with a, special, with a specific intent to... So I, I literally do what second grade teachers do. I will open the Bible and I will read it, da, 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 and I show them the pictures. <laughs> and, they, and they sit there like, you know, because we all love the pictures and, and the kids. And, and, uh, um, and you know what? My youngest daughter, Elizabeth, she actually asks for this. So let me just suggest that maybe some of you might want to try this. Your kids might actually like it. My youngest daughter, Elizabeth, regularly asks for this. And I don't eat dinner at home every night. Um, because I, so there are nights I work late and I, I'm not home for dinner. But the nights I'm home for dinner, Elizabeth, she, she typically sits next to me. She turns to me and goes, Appa, Action Bible. Can you read the Action Bible? And so, and then we have it on a bookshelf right next to the dining table. And, and, and if I feel, and sometimes I'm lazy. I'm like, uh, no, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> and she goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she gets that face. Mm-hmm. You, if you guys know her, she, it's a very obvious. She's one of those like, you don't have to know how she feels. It like, boom, it's right on her face. She gives me that face. And, but I'll pull it out and I'll read this thing. And you know what they ask? They are deep. They care. They deeply care. Right? And you, you get every opportunity to tell them the greatness of Jesus, why they need Jesus, especially when you're talking about the scary parts of the Bible where God kills people. Then they get scared and then you're like, oh, but, but there's Jesus. <laughs> All right. Let me talk about something else next, which is, why we have a hard time obeying these things. And I'm not talking about why this cross-generational mission is faltering. And particularly here in this immigrant community, in this minority community, this cross-generational ministry is harder. It's harder because in every culture, it's normal that you impart the things that you believe and love in your culture down to the next generation. Every culture has cross-generational like generational gap, but then throw in the, the cultural gap to boot, and that just now you, you, it just becomes all the more harder. You know, I don't know if many of you know this, but that first generation, they really do love us. Sometimes it, even though it comes across poorly, and sometimes they don't know how not to provoke us to anger, but they really do love us. And they long to give us the good things of the scriptures and of Jesus, but they only know so often, they only know how to do it in, in a Korean way. But you know what? We're going to face this too. We come into our community, and then you're going to try to do this to your children. What if your children, you know, some of you are second-generation Korean-American or whatever, other different ethnicity, and you want to impart some of that to your children, and your children don't even want that. You're going to have these issues. But it's even extra harder in this community. And we have these prides. We have pride. And we want to impose as opposed to persuade. And we want to, and we don't have the humility to not provoke. Instead, to go and meet with humility and serve. And But what we really need to do is let them see it in our hearts and let it see it off our faces and let them, them hear our excitement and our passion when we sit at the dinner table, when we go out and play basketball, when we sit around in agape meals, when the, when the youth kids just come in and hang out with us. The next time, and it's going to be not long from now, there's going to be kids from the 
the youth ministry are going to come and worship with us. I want you to think about this. Will they see a passion for Jesus on your face and off your lips, the way you sing your song? And just when you hang out with them, will they see it as normal? And this is all part of this gospel ministry. And this, this, this mission has to come all the way across. Do you, do you realize in this church, it's, it's, it's the three generations, it's so easy to see. There's, we got generation number one in that room over there. We got generation number two in this room over there. And we got the next generation over there in that ministry. And then you can go to the toddlers, which that's the very next generation. The very different modes of the generations are all right here. And we do have cultural divisions and so forth. But the real power of this can only be when we meet Jesus. If we're going to come here and we're going to fight about the generational differences and we're going to resent people older than us or have pride and look down upon people who are younger than us, what we really need to see is Jesus, who is the truest older brother, come down and have the deepest humility for all of us who are his younger brothers and sisters. And he will come down. He's the oldest son. And he will come down and have utter humility toward the younger sons and all the younger generations that come after him and pour forth his blood to have his humility to love us. And only when we let Jesus be at the center of it all. And it's happening. There's something remarkable happening in this church. There is a convergence. And there is a softening and humility happening in the first generation. I hope it's happening in this generation, in this English ministry. And we will cherish our youth group and the children and even the toddlers. And people won't think, oh, serving in toddlers ministry, oh, this is like JV ministry. No, 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 no. You will go, that is, oh, this is my way to do cross-generation mission right here in our church. Now, this is a vision message. So let me finish and close this message out with a picture. Vision is supposed to be, you're supposed to see something, right? This idea of vision. It's like, if you come and I give you a message and you walk out and you can't see anything, then I didn't really impart to you vision. It's still kind of dark, right? And so you're supposed to actually have a picture in your mind. You can see reality in a new way if you have vision. Let me see if I can offer you a, just, just, just a glimpse, a picture of what cross-generational gospel-centered mission could look like. Okay? I'm going to do it this way. Um, how many of you took Spanish when you were in high school? Hmm? How many of you took Spanish in your high school? Yesterday I had a very interesting conversation. They probably did not know why I was asking this. Oh, yesterday, um, my wife and I we were invited to um, to Tomas and Suki's daughter Rachel's first birthday. And at the at the ta- at our table at, at at one point, I was having a conversation with Tomas and and, and Mari, right? And uh, for those of you who may not know, Tomas is like, he's not quite American. He's like Brazilian, Korean, American. He's got like all these cultures in him, okay? And he speaks very good Portuguese, right? So he's got some Portuguese. He speaks some passable Korean. And of course, you know, you know that he speaks English. And, and Mari, I mean, she's a remarkable mix of, of cultures in, her, in of herself. She's, she is Brazilian Japanese, and I know this may be a little embarrassing to them as I'm talking about them, but um, just a picture of what our church could be like here, okay? okay? Just follow me here. She's Brazilian Japanese. And so she's got, she speaks fluent English, as you know. She speaks fluent Portuguese because she grew up in Brazil. She speaks pretty good Spanish, I'm sure. She also speaks some Japanese. 
So just imagine what Theo must think. I mean, he's like, this is confusing in this house. There's a lot of languages flowing in, in, in from my mom and dad, okay? And this is what it's like. I don't know if you know, but uh, Dope speaks almost fluent Spanish. His Spanish is really quite excellent, right? Uh, a lot of his clients as a lawyer are, are Mexican-Americans, and, and his Spanish has gotten quite good. So now why am I talking about Spanish? Right. So I have this picture and I think this isn't just a dream. This could be very real very soon. And when I'm talking very soon, just in a few years, it can get very real very soon. No more. My son, my son is in fifth grade. He just turned 11. He's going to turn sixth grade. And in our district, you go to middle school in sixth grade. Now, I don't know if they allow you to take Spanish in sixth grade, but I'm going to petition that he gets to take Spanish and if they say no, I'm going to look at them and say, you're idiots. <laughs> Why wouldn't you allow the kid to take Spanish in sixth grade? He should be taking it in second grade or first grade or whatever, right? So I want it as early as possible. And what am I thinking about? Here's what I want you to think about. I have a friend. I have a friend that I knew since junior high. Okay? His name is Mike. And Mike is like a white guy's white guy, like a, like a total white guy. But Mike, remarkably... Somewhere in his 20s, he moved to Guatemala. And he still lives there. He has a wife is Guatemalan, and he speaks fluent Spanish. And he's a missionary in Guatemala, and this is what he does. What he does is he, he connects American churches. They come down to Guatemala. He connects them to the local churches so that the American church can do something in their short-term ministry which genuinely contributes to the local church's gospel mission. And so he connects American churches, and he is that kind of go-between between the two. It's a, it's a fantastic ministry. He is the type of player, the type of person that we need in globalized missions work. Okay, that's what he does, and he's in Guatemala, right? And I long one of these days, like, it doesn't have to be with Mike, but he's just one resource that, you know, that's, that's available to us probably and hopefully in the near future. So we take a short-term missions team down to Guatemala, and we take some kids like we did last summer. We took some of the youth kids. We took maybe some of our children's ministry kids. We got English ministry, Korean ministry. We got intergenerational, cross-cultural. And we take them down to Guatemala, and we take a kid, and you're like, hey, what do you take in school? I take Spanish. What are you in? I'm in Spanish 3 because he's a, maybe he took he started as a ninth grade, and now he's in junior. He's in Spanish 3. Why did he take Spanish? Well, because... Because I want to get into college, and you kind of just have to. And so his whole goal when he takes Spanish is to get an A, to get a good GPA, and get into college. And then he wants to get into a good college to make money. And so the reason he takes Spanish is utterly shallow and stupid. And anybody in the world, even if you're not a Christian, can go, well, that's shallow, and that's bad, right? And if you're a Christian, I think you could even say it's sinful, but let's say we say, hey, you're in Spanish 3. Why don't you come with us down to Guatemala? You're the ones that can play soccer with the kids. You're the ones that can have these communications, and you can connect. Right? He goes there. He sees Jesus in the midst of this, and he starts getting excited. He starts thinking about this differently. You know, it is my prayer that Hudson will start Spanish in sixth grade. And by 10th grade, his Spanish will actually be pretty, pretty good. 
He'll come back from maybe Guatemala or Mexico or Tijuana or someplace, and he will go, I see how this can be for my Jesus. And then he'll start watching Mexican movies and listen to Spanish pop songs, and he'll want to hang out in the Mexican side of town. And then he'll start thinking, this is for Jesus. So we have a kid who starts off, and it doesn't have to be just my kid, any of your kids. They start off Spanish in sixth grade. Maybe some of you can start thinking about this. And I mean, Doke, he's like his kids speaking Spanish right now, right? Uh, and so they, they do this in, in high school. They go off to college. And after they come off to college, they start thinking like, hey, I don't understand why we have to wait to go all the way to Guatemala. Why can't we drive 20 minutes down the street to East San Jose? There's a lot of Mexicans who live in East San Jose, and they don't know Jesus And if we start speaking in Spanish, first generation and 1.5 generation Mexican-Americans and second generation Mexican-Americans are saying, wow, what what do you do? You're weird. You're Koreans, but you want to plant a church in the middle of East San Jose. And and some of you guys speak really good Spanish. That's kind of crazy. And you even listen to some of our music. That's, That's really weird, right? What do you do that for? Because we want to love you. We want to walk with you right here in San Jose. For Jesus. You see it? The global mission to Spanish speaking. The local city mission, San Jose. And the cross generational mission right into our children and our children's children through something like taking Spanish. <laughs> right here. You see it? And you not think that 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 the parents who are in the Korean ministry side, they'll start thinking like, something is crazy has happened to my kid. My kid is serious about Jesus, the Bible. It wants to come to church. What the heck happened, right? When, when that happens to their kid, you don't think they'll start to see it too? And they will humble them and we'll walk together. But this could happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> right? It's going to happen. So let me ask you to think about this, pray on this, chew on this, dream on this, Put your heart into this. Start talking about this. Put this on your walls. And let the Lord do this in us. Something beautiful and tremendous in us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need to stop thinking it's just Korean or it's this or it's that or we're this, we're the first generation's that. Forgive us, Lord. We confess these sins to you. You have been too small. Your gospel has been too small in our eyes. We are not captured enough. Forgive us, move us, stir us, change us. And, and may we just see the world anew, Lord. May we look at our kids differently. When we stop disrespecting them, when we stop thinking they're just so cute, when we start thinking these are the future generals, the kings, the the captains, the princes, the mighty warriors of Jesus, people who will do, be greater than us in your kingdom, Lord God, greater than us in this city, greater than us in your name. May we long to place them to run ahead of us, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, we will be captured by this We would love you so much because you have loved us so much.
You are worthy of this sacrifice from us. You are worthy of us spending our time with our kids. You're worthy of us repenting of us, our laziness to, to read Action Bible to glad and excited six-year-olds. Lord God, you are worthy of these things. So cause us to run to you. Cause us to show this to our kids so that they can show it to their kids. Make cross-generational mission thrive in this church, we pray. In Jesus' name.